We're exalting God among the nation. So I was talking about the news article that I came across earlier this month as I was reading the news online, painting a, a very bleak picture of our world and, and the situation around it. was talking about the fact that more and more young people are making the decision before they even get married or begin to have a family. More and more young people have been making the decision to have a procedure done so that they'll never have children in, in the rest of their life. It's be becoming more of a trend, according to the news. The, the Guardian, January 12, 2022, somebody said this. This was how they were quoted. They said, I thought, you know what? I don't want to bring a life into this world because it's pretty bad as it is. It's only going to get worse. New York Times, back in, the, in November, there was a similar article. There's enough kids out there. We need more people? Who looks at the planet right now and thinks, you know what we need right now? More kids. Now, it's not that these people don't like kids. They love kids. But as they look at the world and the state of affairs, the things going on around us, their heart is torn and they say, I can't bring a kid into this. You read the news about the natural disasters going on around the world. The climate change, the injustice around us, corporations polluting and setting up a bad future for future generations. You look at the war, just some pictures behind me that make us reflect on the state of our world and we realize that things are not as they are meant to be, are they? There is something in us, the people of God, that looks at this and knows that this is not how things are meant to be, but you don't have to be a person of God to look at the world and know that this is not how we're meant to live. To the point that people go to this extreme of saying, you know what, I'm never going to have kids because I don't want them to have to live in this world. Well, that's pretty sad. But we all experience this, right? We see the racism, the poverty around us, the political oppression in, in these nations. There's news of uh, one nation invading the other or other nations suppressing their people and not allowing democracy. And the world is a pretty sad and bleak place. And we, the people of God, long together with all the rest of the world for that justice. That's what we long for. And it brings us to the question that we're going to consider this morning. What is our role in an unjust world like this? The people we're going to talk about in Scripture today, the nation of Israel, they were no, no strangers to injustice. A few things from their national experience that we understand. They had experienced the slavery in Egypt. Injustice under the hand of Pharaoh or in the Egyptian slave drivers, they had come out of that. Later on in their history, they experienced the oppression of foreign nations that came in upon them. Philistines, the Syrians, and ultimately the Babylonians who destroyed their capital and carried them off as prisoners of war to a faraway nation. The people of Israel were no strangers to the injustices that we see in the world today. Famine, poverty, plagues, pandemics, hardships. They went through it too. And in their treasury of national hymns, the book of Psalms, we have a reflection that gives us some insight on that question that we face. What is 
our role in an unjust world. We can be tempted here to kind of take the hunker down mentality, right? As believers, as the church, we've got the answers and we know Jesus is coming back one day to make things right. So what do we do? We circle the wagons. We get together in our nice, safe church buildings that, you know, impervious to any break-in. And we hunker down. We wait for Jesus to come back to deliver us. Here's an example of injustice that we've experienced even, even this weekend. Somebody coming in and ransacking our place. We long for these things to be set right. And what is our role in the midst of it? Psalm 67 is a reflection from the ancient Israelites on this very situation in the world. And we see a very different picture being painted by the people of God as they look at the world compared to those quotes that we started out with, with those people who have no hope. What is our role? We're going to look at Psalm 67 this morning, and I invite you to turn there with me. Now, I've got some motions that I've made to go along with the psalm, and we've got our kids with us this morning. You're welcome to stand up, and, but I'm going to go through this because this gives you a glimpse into my world of working in oral Bible translation. This is a tool that we use to help translators internalize the passages of Scripture that they're working on so that they get the message into their heart when working with poetry and different genres like that. A lot of times, putting some tactile emotions with it goes along with, it supplements our memory and helps us get the God's Word into our heart. So Psalm chapter 67, we're looking at the whole psalm. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May God smile upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness. And you guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its harvest. God will bless us. God will bless us indeed. Let the ends of the earth fear him. Psalm 67. This psalm We don't know much about when this psalm was written or who sung it, other than the fact that the Israelites sung it. It doesn't give us any clues. It doesn't say a psalm of David or anything like that. But we do know that it was used during the history of the nation of Israel. It could have been very early, reflecting on the Egyptian slavery and the deliverance there. It could have been written during the rule of David, or it could have been written after the Israelites returned from Babylonian captivity. The whole national history is in view in this psalm as the Israelites reflect on the world and their role in it. We're going to talk through the psalm verse by verse, but we're not going to go in verse order because there's something very interesting about what, the way this, this psalm is structured. You notice how it kind of goes in bookend form. It begins and ends with the same theme, 
What's the theme that you see in the opening verses, one and two, and the closing verses, six and seven? It opens and closes by talking about God's blessing, doesn't it? So it opens and closes with God's blessing. Those are the opening and closing verses. You've got to think of this as like a poem or a song because that's how they used it. It's very artistic in the way it's written. And if we can appreciate this, we can understand its meaning a little better. So it opens and closes on the same theme, God's blessing. So we'll talk about God's blessing first. Then in kind of the following section, verses 3 and verses 5, they also mirror each other. If you look in your Bible, you'll see they're exactly the same. It says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you, right? Word for word. Those two verses are the same. So the nation's joy we'll talk about. And then in the very center of the psalm, the very middle verse, it all points to what? God's reign of justice. God's reign of justice. This is a very intentional Hebrew way of writing poetry. A little bit unfamiliar to us. We're more focused on rhyme and rhythm in our appreciation of poetry traditionally. But the Hebrews were very excited. This was beautiful to them. And it all points to that center verse as the main point of the verse. God's blessing is not the main point, but the purpose of God's blessing is what it all points to highlighted there in the center of the psalm for us. This, the technical word for this structure is called a chiasm. A chiasm. And it basically means the psalm mirrors each other from the opening to the very middle. It's a mirror image. So we'll work through the mirror image of the psalm here, starting with God's blessing. Verses 1 and 2 and verses 6 and 7. God's blessing. May God bless us, it starts out. May God be gracious to us and bless us, right? And then at the end, it talks about how the earth has yielded its harvest. God has blessed us, or some versions, God will bless us. The verb tenses in Hebrew are a little, a little flexible there. But God's blessing is what the theme of the psalm is. It starts on that. Why do the Israelites expect God's blessing? Why do they expect God's blessing? You ever think about that? I mean, we ask God to bless us all the time, don't we? God bless us. God bless this food. God bless the work of our hands. You know, we ask for God's blessing too. But step back for a minute. What right did the Israelites have to ask for God's blessing at all? Well, it goes back to God's promise, right? God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God's promise to Abraham. And if I was looking back on my notes. It's very interesting. A year ago this week, I was up here preaching on Genesis 12, 1 and 2, God's promise to bless Abraham. And here I am a year later speaking on Psalm 67, which is a reflection on that promise to bless Abraham. Now, is that a coincidence? But God's promise to Abraham, Genesis 12, chapters 1 and 2. Turn there with me, if you will. God said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred. He was living in the, the nation of Ur, and God sent him to a new place. God said, leave your father's house, go to the land that I will show you, and what will I do for you there? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So when the Israelites ask for God's blessing in Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us. 
and they look on the harvest of the land and say, God will bless us. They have a good basis for this. This is what God has promised to do for them as a nation. God wants to bless his people. Now, I do need to to make a a caveat here. We're talking about God's blessing, but this is not a a health and wealth sermon by any means. I want to acknowledge we don't always experience God's blessing. The Israelites knew that there was a hardship from the Lord just as well as blessing. And I don't want to discount that. If that's where you're at right now, uh, our, our hearts are with you. And you're not doing anything wrong if you're not experiencing God's blessing. But we all go through seasons of hardship and seasons of blessing. And today's passage is about those seasons of blessing, asking God for his blessing. And they had this good basis for this. In Genesis chapter 12, God had promised to their forefather Abram, who had founded the nation, God had said, I want to bless you. I want to make your name great. That was the promise of blessing, the basis for the blessing. Now let's talk a little bit about the nature of the blessing. What type of blessing were the Israelites looking for when they said, God bless us? Be gracious to us and bless us. We might be a little over-spiritual in our understanding of blessing sometimes. You know, sometimes we throw the word blessing around flippantly, like you sneeze, God bless you. Or or even bless this food to our bodies. What what does that really mean? Or, you know, you might think of a a priest blessing the little children and, you know, somehow waving his, his hands or something like that, an esoteric spiritual type of blessing. That's not what this psalm is looking at. That's not what the Israelites had in mind when they were talking about God's blessing. They had a very concrete expectation of what type of blessing to expect because God had promised them, again, as a nation, this time not through Abraham, but through Moses. When they went into the promised land under Moses' leadership, God gave them his law And it came with a promise of blessing. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 6. God said, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. There's that theme. The nations of the earth again, just like Psalm 67. He will set you above the nations, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. All these blessings. What blessings? What are the blessings? God says, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb. Your children are a blessing from God, it says. And the fruit of your ground your crops, your harvest, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. God promised to bless their families, to bless their fields, to bless their animals and make them produce abundantly to bless their, the, the work of their hands, the kneading bowl, bless them in the city and in the, in the countryside. Very concrete, tangible blessings. And that's what Psalm 67 points to as well, doesn't it? In verse 6, what is the specific blessing that this calls out? 
Verse 6 says, the land, the earth has yielded its harvest. So as they sing this psalm, they're reflecting on the harvest they've received from God as a tangible. God blesses us, his people. So they are experiencing and asking God for the things they need in life. God bless my work. I'm going out to the field today. Let the field give me the food I need to provide for my family. That's the type of blessing we're talking about. So the people expect God's blessing, but why do they expect God's blessing? This is the important thing. What is the result of this blessing? You're such a good guy. I want to bless you. Just, this is all about you. God bless me because I want to have more things. I want to fill up my barn and feel good about myself. No. Where is this blessing directed in Psalm 67? Why do the people of God receive his blessings? What is the purpose? What does it say? That your way may be known on the earth. God promises to bless his people so that the earth can know about God. When they see how God takes care of his people, it becomes a testimony. God's blessings are meant to make the earth notice what God's doing. Knowledge of God. The beginning of the psalm says that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among the nation. God's blessings give the world an opportunity to see how God saves his people. Different aspects of salvation there. There's the day-to-day salvation. We, we need to be saved from this guy that came in and broke our building. You know, that kind of salvation. God protected us. He made sure nobody was here to be hurt when this happened. And God saved us in that sense. But there's also the eternal spiritual sense of salvation. God's blessings allow us an opportunity to proclaim God's way and his power to save. When God blesses his people, it gives us that chance to be a blessing to the nations. And that's what Psalm 67 is teaching us. So the blessing of God is very concrete, tangible thing that they expected because of God's promise to Abram for the specific purpose that they might be lifted up among the nations so all the nations can look and see what God is doing for this special country, Israel, that follows his law. So the blessing is how the psalm opens and closes with that theme of blessing. They ask for the blessing, and then the end of the psalm, they look at the harvest and say, God has blessed us. His fear will be to the ends of the earth. The fear of God, it's kind of an archaic term, King Jamesy type term. Today, we don't use the word fear in that way. It's not that we're afraid of God, but we respect and honor God because of who he is and what he can do. So, God's blessings allow the earth to see them and acknowledge him and respond accordingly. Now, how do the nations respond when they see God blessing them? Well, the nations respond with joy, as we see in verses 3 and 5. This, if this was a modern-day worship song, this would be the chorus of the song. Remember, this was originally sung by the Israelites. It starts out saying it's to be played, uh, performed by stringed instruments. And the chorus of the psalm resonates twice, word for word. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples 
praise you. Twice, it's emphasized. The nations, when they see and experience God's blessing through his people, turn to praise God. God's blessings allow the nations to respond with joy. The nations come to know and fear God by witnessing his blessings upon his people so that they can join in worshiping him. The nations join in this worship chorus. Genesis 12.3, if we reflect back on that original promise again, what did God say? He said, I will bless you, Abram. But it wasn't just so that Abram and his family could feel good about themselves. The purpose of the blessings was that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth, or in other words, all nations will be blessed through the blessings that I pour out on you, Abram, and my people, Israel. That's God's plan. And as they look and experience God's blessings, God's plan is that they will see and acknowledge him and come to participate in that praise with the people of God. That's what the Israelites were looking forward to. It wasn't just some nationalistic, oh, we're the people of God and you're not and we're so special and high and mighty. No, this is an invitation to the nations to acknowledge who God is and what he does for his people. Which brings us to the very center of the verse, the very highlight, the ultimate end, the purpose of God's whole plan of blessing his people. Everything points into this. Verse 4, God's reign of justice. God's reign of justice. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you reign with justice. You reign with justice. That's wonderful. That is what the nations are longing for. That's what those people I quoted at the beginning of the sermon are really longing for. When you look at the world and and see everything that's wrong with it, God has a plan. And he will set things right one day. And his blessings on his people are a part of that plan. Realize that means God's people get to participate in his plan to fix the world. So God's reign of justice is the ultimate solution that he's working towards by blessing his people. Going back to Genesis 12, Genesis 12, God's promise to bless Abram comes at the conclusion of a very long downward spiral of not blessing, in fact, cursing, injustice. Look at the injustices we see. We see Adam and Eve in the garden rebelling against God and then fighting against each other. Oh, you ate it. No, you ate it first, that kind of thing. Then we see Cain killing Abel, and then we see Lamech bragging to his wives about how he, he killed a man just because he offended him. And then we see Nimrod, a mighty hunter in God's face, going out and founding a city in rebellion against God and building a tower. We see the days of Noah when everything in their minds is only evil continually. There's a lot of injustice in the world, but God's plan is to restore his reign on earth. And he's using his people as a means to accomplish that that ultimate end. That is God's plan, his ultimate reign of justice. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy because your way is known on the earth. 
So God's reign of justice is what we're all looking forward to. And this psalm reminds us of the place of God's blessings in our lives. We don't receive God's blessings just because, oh, you, you believe in me? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, make, I'm going to take care of you. No, God gives us good things for a purpose. And it's bringing about his, his plan in the world. So there's the answer to our question at the beginning of the study. What is our role in an unjust world? A believer's role in a world of injustice. God blesses his people to make his salvation known among the nations. God blesses his people to make his salvation known. In other words, as God's ambassadors, believers are to receive his blessings as opportunities to bless an unjust world. That is our role in all of this. Receiving God's blessings and passing them along as an opportunity to make his saving power known in all the earth. So the question is, how has God blessed you? How has God blessed you? I want to spend the rest of our time now talking about a number of the different ways in which God might have blessed you. Now, nobody is probably characterized by all of these. Maybe somebody is, and if that, that's great if you are. But, uh, we all, if we look carefully at our lives, I hope we can all see ways in which God has blessed us. And I'm going to throw out some ideas for us here to get us thinking about it. But you'll probably think of others, too. It's an exciting thing to talk about because when God blesses us, he has a reason for giving us those blessings. And again, like I said, maybe you're not in a stage of life where you're feeling really super blessed right now. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It doesn't mean you've gone astray. No, the Israelites and the stories of the early church all affirm God's people go through times of hardship as well. He has purposes in that too. It's a different sermon though. We're talking about blessings this morning. So what are the ways God might have blessed you? Some things I thought of as your job. A lot of us have a job that meets our needs, provides for our family, and even goes a little bit above and beyond and gives us a little extra to enjoy. Your job is a big blessing. And when we think about unemployment, people who can't find a job or who have to work so hard working multiple jobs that they, they have to let other areas of their life slide. Maybe you have a good, steady, and stable job that God has used to bless you. I think a lot about this corporation over here across the highway, Boeing. A lot of you know that logo really well. It's fun to think about how Boeing has had an influence on the nations of the world coming to know God because of how God has used that job, that company, to provide for people in our church with a good, steady well-paying job that gives a little extra to send overseas to our missionaries. Boeing has a hand in paying our missionaries support because of the people in this church who have worked for Boeing over the years. Even if we took a show of hands, who retired from Boeing or works for Boeing? I mean, that's just one example. My family was supported for a long time by a little church in uh, Cutchin, Kentucky, Church of Coal Miners, who... Uh, in the hills of Kentucky, collected their offering and sent a portion to my family every month over the years, my mom and dad. And I like to think about how 
God has used those jobs to bless the nations by allowing his people to invest in his kingdom. Has God blessed you with a job that allows you to give to missions? To our missions faith promise program, where maybe you have friends that you support on the side independently, but your job is a blessing from God. Maybe your job isn't the first thing that comes to mind. Maybe you don't even have a job. There are some of us here who have made that, that decision that I, I want to invest in my family right now. I'm not going to work, or maybe I'm just not going to work as, as much as I could because my family is my, my top priority. And maybe sometimes you can feel like your family is so important that you don't have time for some of those other things. That, oh yeah, you're talking about missions, but i got to take care of my family right now. Well, your family is an opportunity to bless the nations. You realize that? How can your family bless the nations? Well, over, over our family's experience, you know, our primary relationships have come through our kids in the recent years. It's hard to go to a park and just strike up a conversation with like a random person. But when your kids are playing together, your kids open up doors for you to meet people that you might not otherwise know. How are you reaching out through your family? Some of our family's closest relationships have been given to us through our kids and the people they meet at school. The unbelievers that we're in contact with on a regular basis as a family are all relationships that have come to us through our kids, that the Lord has opened those doors. Another way your family is a blessing to bless the nation, we looked at Psalm 127 earlier. My dad read from it. Verse says, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. You realize your children are arrows. How are your children arrows? Well, you can launch them into the world as God's agent of blessing. Are you raising up your kids as agents of blessing for the world one day? Where's our next generation of missionaries coming from? Well, they're downstairs with, no, not right now, but... Today, they're with us here. Listen to me, kids. You're the next generation of missionaries from Hope Church. I hope that God raises up more missionaries from our own kids here in the service today one day to go out and take his word to the nation. Are you raising them with that mindset, with that mentality? Are you putting them in opportunities to know and appreciate people from different backgrounds, different cultures? Your family is a great opportunity to bless the world through the blessings God has given you. I think of the Keating family. You recognize these guys? They came up on our family vacation to Alaska and helped us put a new roof on our house. A family from Hope Church coming together and just being a blessing to the nations, the people of Alaska who we were ministering to. Meant a lot to us as missionaries working in Alaska when they came and took the time to do that. So taking your family on a trip like that to visit some of our missionaries may be an opportunity to bless the world through the blessings that God has given you. Maybe it's your skill set. Maybe it's your skills. God has allowed you, he's wired you to do something and to do it well. Clint and I and Lori and Jenny, we attended virtually the memorial service for our missionary, David Rittenhouse, who passed away last month suddenly. And we heard this testimony, these testimonies from people all over the world who David had touched through his behind-the-scenes faithful servant. We supported him as a missionary for 41 years. And you know what his job was, his skill on the mission field? He wasn't up there preaching the gospel, 
weekly, he was, he was preaching the gospel through the relationships he built and the doors he opened, God opened for him through his role as a senior accountant with Transworld Radio. David was the senior accountant. He had the skills, not of a preacher, but of an accountant, behind-the-scenes type of guy who just served faithfully. He was, his mind was wired so that he could go into a messy situation and fix the books that the bookkeeper had messed up previously. They sent him wherever Transworld Radio, when he went to Guam, they said he came in and we just need to burn these books up and start fresh because we can't make head or tails of them. And David fixed it. He figured it out. He came back to the U.S. and then they would send him to other fields, uh, South Africa in particular, where things had just gotten so awry that the, the organization was in trouble legal trouble even, because things had not been kept properly, and he fixed it. He could have made a lot of money using that skill on his own here in the States somewhere. That's a valued skill, organizationally speaking, but he spent 41 years on the mission field investing that skill in God's kingdom. What skill has God given you? It doesn't have, you don't have to be a preacher to make a difference among the nations. You can be an accountant like Dave Rittenhouse. Or maybe you have skills like this guy. You know who that is? That's Steve Arthur. Steve came up. He, he donated a week of his time one summer and came and helped me at the Bible College in Alaska and helped me wire our classrooms with the internet wiring. And I didn't know how to do that. And he taught me how to terminate an ethernet cable. And, and he used his computer skills. He would probably say he's not a, a preacher as his default comfort zone but he used his skills as a way to bless the nations, the indigenous people of Alaska that we were serving at the college by donating a week of his time. Your skills are an opportunity to bless the nations. Education. Some of you are in a stage of life where you're thinking about, where am I gonna go to college? You realize that in itself is a blessing? Think of the people around the world who don't even have the opportunity to make that choice. And many of us, we get scholarships and we can go all sorts of places and it's like the world is open to you. But there's a lot of people who don't have that opportunity. I was convicted when I was kind of on track to go into engineering school and that's when I received my, my own personal call into ministry. Senior year of high school, on a mission trip in the Philippines, God laid it on my heart, John, you need to go to Bible school. And so I set those plans aside, applied to Moody Bible Institute, and here I am. The peoples, a lot of people around the world have no opportunity for education. How are you going to invest your education, a blessing from you, to bless those around the world who need to hear about God? Maybe, I, I'm not saying you need to go to Bible school. It's a great choice, especially if you don't know what to do. Go study the Bible for a year or two, and God will lead you. But God will use your education, any education, for his glory. If you say, I want to take these resources you've entrusted me to God and use them to bless the nations. A few more to think about here. Time. Maybe you don't have a job right now. You're not in school right now. Maybe you have time on your hands. The people, the, the, the stages in life that pop into my mind are like students, college students, or, or young, young marrieds with no kids. And you don't realize you have time yet. You feel like you're super busy doing all these assignments, but you've got a lot of time. You've got a lot of time. You get to decide how you use your spare time. 
Are you using that time over the summer as opportunities to invest in the nations, pointing to him, saying, God has blessed me and he wants to bless you too. He has a plan. Time. Students, young people, and also retirees, you have time to invest. God has blessed you. Not all of us get to retire. Dave Rittenhouse, who I talked about, he died a week away from his retirement from TWR. Not all of us get to have that privilege. Retirement is a privilege. It is a blessing from God. And he has plans and opportunities for you to use that to bless those who need to hear about him. Last one, your home. Your home may be a big blessing. Again, some people are homeless. They have no home. But your home is an opportunity to host the nations. I'm not saying invite random people in to live with you or anything like that, though, you know, God has done that in years past. Think about the widow who hosted Elijah the prophet and built a little room for it. Maybe that's an extreme example of how you can use your home to bless the nations. But just hosting people for a meal. God has blessed our church with wonderful facilities too. Our church home is an opportunity to bless the nations. I was down in St. Charles yesterday at the ice carving festival. And people from all over St. Louis coming to watch these artists carve things out of ice. And there, right in front of where they were carving, was a church in downtown St. Charles, Main Street. And the church, the doors were locked, the windows were dark, and there was nobody home. And I thought, oh, what a missed opportunity to bless the nations through these facilities God has given you. I don't know anything about that church. I'm not saying anything bad that, you know, they're not doing things right. They're, they're probably a wonderful church doing a lot of good things. But I, I just thought, God blesses us. He gives us all as churches, as families, our homes, our buildings, our opportunities to bless those around us. I'm thankful for our gym that's open. What is it now? Three, four nights a week for volleyball, Friday night basketball that the leeches host opportunities to bless our neighborhood and the people around us through the facilities that God gives us. So think creatively about your home. Let's think creatively about our facilities here because they are blessings from God and they're not given flippantly. They're not given to build us up. They're given that we can exalt his name among the nations. So in closing today, how will you use your blessings for God's glory? among the nations. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the blessings you give us. You bless each one of us differently. It's not all the same. We don't always understand how and why you distribute your blessings the way you do, but we know you give them for a purpose, and we ask that we may not receive them flippantly or selfishly, but hold those blessings with an open hand that you might use them to bless the nations. Amen.